I feel like I'm missing out. Missing out on what? <laughs> you guys are like, yeah, no, no, we're good. Oh, uh, you're always loud enough. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'll be all right. <laughs> loud enough. So how, how long has it been since our last podcast? Long time. Yeah. Like three months. So what, so Two what, months. What was the last one? The one with Rob and uh, yeah. Two Intentions. Yeah, yeah. That was, yeah, that was what a couple months. Ago, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah it, feels, it feels like it's been longer. We're yeah. getting old, so time just flies. We, we, we had no a, idea how long ago. We had one really. planned with these guys, the Killer Hearts, and they they didn't show up. They fucking. <laughs> and we're so committed to to not letting this die, uh, and and keeping this train rolling. And and I think with with uh, um. What are you saying? <laughs> I was just saying, talking to the mic. Me? Yeah, I could hear it fading. Away. But I'm, I'm watching, I'm watching the thing. I'm doing good. I'm keeping it in the yellow. We're so committed to not letting this thing die, and I think with, with, with having uh, today's guest on, this goes back to what we were originally talking about. Oh, like not letting it die, just being pitiful. No, washed no, up no. Version of yourself. Yeah. no, no, not that. <laughs> That's definitely what we originally talked about. No, but it, it goes, it goes back to that, uh, that car ride on the way to Riley's oh, funeral yeah. Yeah. and Ooh. the whole, there needs to be some type of, uh, podcast documentation about, what we've all been through, experienced in Texas, Houston. Um, well, it's interesting because what it does is it like lays down our narrative of what happened or like how we think about it. And uh, I, the reason I say that's interesting is other people probably hear it and they might think like, I don't remember that. Or that's not how <laughs> it you know? um, Yeah. And that's cool because yeah. then there's like maybe some, uh, maybe some dialogue or something. But um no, no, absolutely. And and for me, I think uh Gabe, how old are you? I'm forty one. Oh shit. Daniel, you? I'm thirty nine next month. Okay, cool. So I'm yeah. I'm thirty seven. Being the youngest dude here, I remember first coming around, I met you, I met Rob, and then I met Daniel. And and, and all three of y'all were influential dudes to me coming up. All three of y'all were really cool to me and that was super important. And I remember as time went on, I I had my differences with Daniel. I was a fucking <laughs> knucklehead, but Daniel still looked out for Yo, me in the band. Had, we never had problems. No, no, yeah. no. There were never problems. Yeah. Uh, but Daniel still looked out for me in uh, in the bands that I was playing in. And as I've gotten older, I've I've looked up to him even more. Um, no, don't do that. Eh, I'm, uh, 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 politically, socially, and, and, and what he's done with his, his music. And so in, in talking about bringing him up here, I was like, man, I, you know, I, I, think, uh, I think it'd be an interesting person to, to talk to and, and, and pick his brain um, because he's someone that, that hasn't fucking wavered in all these years. He's stuck to the original yeah. game plan. Yeah. Um, since finer truth days, think so. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I well, hold on, like hold on, hold on. You were, well, you were vegetarian back then. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so the only thing that's changed is now you're vegan. I've been this month. I've been vegan 16 years. Oh, I thought you meant like being active. Well, yeah. uh, well, yeah. I I was just saying overall active, but even even to 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 put to put it an arch on top of that is like. You know, 
being edge and 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 vegetarian or vegan. You know, you know, it's strange to me that all that stuff I just don't even really think about. I I kind of quit being proud of whatever. You know, when you're young, you're proud of what you can proclaim. Mm-hmm. Now it's like I'm now that's I, just I'm you. like anybody else. Like I've made mistakes in my life. I've been shitty to people. You know, like I when you're young, you're self righteous. I, I think I the older I get the less self-righteous I am, which, you know, you, you become more humble, hopefully. Yeah. Right? You know, so. Well, and I'm, I'm not even talking about pride. I'm just like, that shit, that's, I, I've gone through so many mental ups and downs. Of course, I've always been in the punk hardcore scene. That's been the one, you know, yeah. consistent. Uh, but to watch this one person you know, stay in that fight has been well, here, of note. Here's what I'm trying to distinguish, I guess, from what you're saying is that I feel about myself like I take less of a stand and I just am what I am. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's. All right. You yeah. learn as you get older, yeah. like you're kind of living by example. Like people stop being very interested in what you say, especially as they see how you live. Right? Yeah. 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 So you post less slaughterhouse videos nowadays. <laughs> Yeah, I try to make a point to actually not post any, which because there's a whole generation of people that are going to do that until they're tired of doing. Well, so we should probably introduce you now, then. (laughs) Okay, go right. Sure. (laughs) This is um, Eric Gibson. uh, (laughs) Dude, dude. Yeah, we're here with. uh, My name's Gabe Wells. Um, uh, My name's Ryan Taylor. We're here with Daniel Truth. Um, I don't even know how to say your last name, Daniel. Argenbaugh. Oh, bah. Way fucking wrong. <laughs> oh, bah. Okay. This, this is why. That's not a sign of disrespect. No, no, this I, is. Or this it's is, not meant as a sign of disrespect. This is why when I started putting out books, I just put Daniel Austin. Okay. People have butchered my last name my whole life. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I just, I just hate to watch them stumble through it, so I just. Made yeah. it easy for them by going by my middle name. Daniel well, you looked Austin. like you had fun watching me stumble through. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, man. Um, uh, I uh, uh, I'd like to tell just a little story about the, like one of my first like real memories with Daniel. Like I knew Daniel and we had introduced each other and I was playing with Will to Live mm-hmm. and Daniel was playing with Finer Truth mm-hmm. and we you know we knew all the all the mutual people like Rob and uh, also Jeff from Finer Truth, right? Yeah. Like, we both yeah. knew Jeff. And so we had mutual friends, but I didn't go as far back with Daniel as I did with James Neely. Sure, and yeah. Neely was one of the first people I met, yeah. like because he yeah. was doing Burning Inside. Oh shit! And um, I met. Uh, I, I, we were at a park show, and he was like, "Hey, do you want to ride with me and Dan?" I was like, "Oh yeah, here we go, cool." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we went on this drive, and you know, I did my thing, my little shtick, like which. You know, I mean, that's really, that's just how I am. I just like to talk and tell stories. I think it's fun. That's uh-huh. how I communicate and like yeah. kind of make friends and shit. But I'm just going off about all this shit. Like when we played at the Abyss, when we were in that punk band, The Molested. Oh, yeah, And we yeah. were talking about how we had met this guy, Tyler, that that was like a mutual friend from South Houston and a bunch of other people. And uh, Daniel was just like, I, I was telling one of the stories. I was just going, you know, having a good time. And Daniel was like, dude, are you serious? Like... Are you guys really like that? Because <laughs> I think I was telling a story about me and Luke, and I was like, "Yeah, oh, dude, we we're just yeah. having a good time." And um, yeah. and I was like, 
I wonder if this guy thinks that I'm just like making up fucking stories. I was like, that'd be horrible. That'd probably break my fucking heart if he thought I was just making everything up. No, no, no. And I, I probably learned soon after there was no way you were making <laughs> But, uh, no, you know, you know, it's funny. Um, you know, my introduction to hardcore was Earth Crisis and Sick of It All, which are like yeah. these, you know, very socially conscious, issue conscious bands, right? And I did not understand the wild side of the scene yet. Well, right? right. It's just kind of like, and where my, does that fit in? My like, introduction to punk was Bad Religion, which is like the most well, intellectual punk band, right? No, that's well, right. And, and that's what I was going to ask. Did yeah. you did you come to hardcore first or punk first? Uh, I mean, technically it would have been punk, but it was very, you know, popular Epitaph Records, popular Fat Records. It wasn't yeah. like... The punk you were talking about, yeah, like that Quincy punks, and yeah, it stuff. Was, it yeah, wasn't. stuck on stupid, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah dumpster diving at the it, abortion you know, clinic, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> my first punk show, technically, was Offspring on the Smash tour. That is a great album, right? But quick, not punk, but but, but quicksand. No, I'm just, yeah, no, I'm no, but hold on, but quicksand, <laughs> quicksand was opening. Oh wow! And oh, so shit. was no use for a name. I just saw them, by the way. Yeah. A little aside, they were fucking awesome. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry, no, no for but. That's that was my introduction to something like punk, right? Right. Like, I mean, it was, and and you know, you look at a band like Offspring. Who were they influenced by? They were influenced by Bad Religion, right? Oh, so, uh, sure. Yeah. I mean, it's that was my introduction to punk. There was no community. There was no. I didn't know anything about DIY. It was very kind of almost like a corporate. The success stories in punk. Well, well because it, everything because that together, gets to you, that gets to clean. kids, right? Yeah. Like like kids are going to be able to pick that up at the right. mall or something right. or something or yeah, a friend, yeah. Yeah. you know. Well, and, and you hope that they pick that up and then they see one of the band members wearing a particular band T-shirt sure. and then sure. doing that, the research. That, that kind of stuff happened for sure. But like, um, yeah, like uh, I remember it was the second hardcore show I ever went to was that 1998. Guard for Life first show down when they were downstairs and mm. uh, Earth Crisis, Madball, Hatebreed, was Scar, all was yeah. and that was my introduction to the wild side of hardcore because I didn't know what DMS was. Oh yeah, <laughs> I, and, and you know Scarhead opened that show. I was yeah. there to see Earth Crisis right as a right, fifteen year old right. straight edge kid. They were my world right. So I saw Scarhead and I was like, "What the fuck is this?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, uh, and like two singers. And yeah, and uh, you know Hoya is up on there going, "Hey, well, not just them, strippers at I eat pussy. Come party with us after the <laughs> <Yeah>. show." <laughs> and I was like, "How is this on tour with Earth Crisis?" You know, well, and not just that, but it wasn't just them. It was like all the, the like roadies, like everybody's on yeah. stage, and you're just yeah. like, "What the, I, they, what the fuck?" It is was this? a gang. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and I did a show of force. So yeah. I was yeah. learning that night about there's this whole other side and history to hardcore. Yeah, the the streets. You know what I mean? Mm. And because you know, I was just a suburban kid. Like I grew up. My parents divorced when I was five. I grew up with my mom. I was home by myself most of my childhood. So when I got into music and records, I kind of isolated myself with that. And then I had my friends like RJ who drummed and. Fire yeah. Truth, who lived down the down the neighborhood, and we got into music together, started playing music together. But mostly, man, I was I was isolated, and my relationship with music was very personal. So I didn't understand this whole the scene aspect or the community or the gang aspect. Yeah, or, just yeah, like yeah. that whole dynamic. Yeah, right? and yeah, and yeah. what's funny is that 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 at some point, like you're going to become cognizant as a young person 
while you're like watching bands or getting into punk rock, mm-hmm. you're going to start to see that it's like, man, there's like some weird disconnect between what most of society as i mean american society i guess that's all i can speak for yeah but how they perceive like what success in music is like what is it <laughs> like what are you trying to do are you trying to make money yeah like everybody else is like everyone's you, you take what? that for granted yeah. like as it's given from the get-go and and let's you know i mean fat records bands were making money and bands oh, yeah, were yeah, and, yeah. and i mean i think victory records i don't know some but some of them yeah and yeah. people were making money so it was kind of like that piece of the puzzle was there, but then you also had like what really constituted the majority of that subculture, which was people that were like just in it for the right reasons, or, or you know, sure. like like they were just doing their thing. They but they doing- kept the train rolling, and they were still touring a lot. They were still putting yeah. out a lot of music. But, but the goal was not like I, I don't think Quincy Punks ever had the delusion that they would be a radio rock band. Okay, just oh, right. like just like. Um, you know, uh, there's a there was a Napalm Death had put out a record a couple years ago, and it was a hype sticker on the on the Napalm Death record, and it was one of the guys from uh, Def Leppard being interviewed, and I, I think the guy was trying to grill him. There's no context, but it just says, "Let's face it, you're not going to sell a million albums if you sound like Napalm Death." <laughs> <laughs> and it had them all quoted and shit, and that was a hype sticker for the record. Yeah. But I, I think that 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 kind of like says it all. Mm-mm. That there's there's like a, a DIY aspect. There's a mm-hmm. thing that's like a lot of kids are really political. A lot of kids like have a movement. Like or they have they straight edge. So. Or they think they are. <laughs> Whatever they're like, they're they're following their heart, right? Yeah, they're, yeah, yeah, they're not yeah. thinking financially, and right. which makes them countercultural because they're right. not thinking in terms of success as defined sure, by sure. how much money you're making, right? Sure, sure. Yeah. So, and that's an important thing, like that. Everybody, I, I think, everybody starts to realize, especially if you're a musician early on, you're like, what is my goal? Like, what, like, what am I trying to do here? You know. Mm-hmm. It's, it, you could look I in my early 20s I could look at guys that were fronting the biggest bands of the genre like Hatebreed and stuff like that and I mean they weren't starving in the streets and stuff but they weren't like these mega millionaire rich people that you know they're not going to be on MTV Cribs and shit but you knew that they were workhorses you knew that they were grinding it out but that's what it was about that's what it has to be about right to stick with it it has to yeah. be about that right yeah. it's not about like I'm, I'm gonna sell millions of records it's very different than hip-hop it's very different than commercial radio right yeah. so I, I think making making that distinction early on and choosing to stick with it you know um is is very important it's like critical in a lot of people's formation as their person as they get older like is hardcore just a footnote or punk rock just a footnote before they went to college oh yeah or, you know so so you come in and like your your first two bands are sick of it all in earth crisis mm. then you go to this show that like i I, re- I remember that tour and it was it was such a a wild lineup it was mm. earth crisis scarhead hate breed madball madball right okay so that's your second hardcore show, second, right? Yeah. So how did that, after seeing that, shape your view of hardcore? I mean, I, dude, I was still trying to push Mosh. And I remember 
Freddie Critchin from Madball. That's back when he was all juiced up. Yeah. And like fresh out of jail, I think. Yeah. Or was before he went to jail. Weren't they like lifting weights in the parking yeah, lot? Of Fitz? Yeah, 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 yeah. They were like snorting coke and lifting weights. Yeah. In the park. That's a great combination. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, he jumps in during Earth Crisis, and I'm in there trying to push him off. I'm 15, and I don't really know hardcore culture yet, you know? Uh, I had seen hardcore dancing though at my first show, which was that Hate Breed Deep Offset Proof show at the uh, Abyss, like two months prior. Oh yeah. wow! And um, and so I was still like not sure how what was a I I just got in there and did what I did at a Deftone show. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And I remember Freddie jumps in and just clears the fucking pit, stomps me, and I'm like 15 years old, 120 pounds, you know, and I was seeing stars, and I was just like. There's something going on here that I don't comprehend yet, you know. So, I mean, I don't know. It was kind of an eye-opener. Like, the seeing the whole DMS element at that show with Scarhead and Madball and the shit they said on stage. And then, you know, I came for Earth Crisis. And, 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 I, and I loved Hatebreed, too. But, you know, Hatebreed's more middle of the road. You don't... Yeah. Not such a spectacle like that. Especially, I mean, back then, at least. And um, I don't know, man. I, I was just fascinated. You know, I was fascinated by the dancing. I was fascinated by, like, this, just that, I don't know, it's that, that dangerous kind of energy that I think we were all kind of lured in by of, like, this is different. Yeah. Like. But, but, <laughs> but clearly it still kept you in. Oh, no, I loved it more than ever. Like, all those early shows, yeah, man, I was more in love with it every time. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't, you know, I don't know at what point we, we all started grumbling, like, this isn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, but no, early on, it was just, no, it was magical. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know. It just, uh, I remember it, it was, maybe it wasn't that show. Maybe it was the first Hatebreed show that I saw at the Abyss. Uh, you know, Jamie Gosta would always have his, uh, Stillborn Records distro. And I remember he was like, oh, you like Earth Crisis? Buy this another victim EP. Hard. And I oh. bought that uh, Portrayal of Vengeance EP. And that's, that's how I got into all those early bands. Like, you go... I remember Habery came back on Warp Tour that year. Yeah, how like, was that? That show? Yeah. Oh, uh, Willow uh, got in a fight. Do you yeah. remember? Well, there the so one at uh, uh, Astro Arena. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was well, there. that's the one I bought, the Path of Resistance record. Yep. Because yeah. he had it at the Habery booth. Yeah. And uh, I think I was wearing, like, a throwdown shirt. Yeah. And he goes, oh, you like that straight edge stuff. you got to get this Path of the Resistance record. And that's still like, one, yeah, that's still one of my favorite records to this day. Dude, know? yeah, that's tougher than uh, nails. Yeah, yeah. what, well, uh, Who Dares Wins? Yeah, Who Dares Wins, yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's back then I felt like we were just, we would learn about a new band to check out by talking to people or talking to the bands themselves at yep. the shows. And you, then you find your new favorite band. You know, that's kind of how it worked back then, you know. Um, there was a beauty to that inaccessibility where we were all talking to each other. Yeah, 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 no doubt. Where you didn't have to just um, there, there, there wasn't a lot of or, or no streaming apps going on, so it was just yeah, was, yeah, it was pure to, community. Yeah, you either got to go to Soundwaves, yeah, talk to Bucky, talk to Bucky, and yeah. see what he recommended for you, and go listen to it at the listening bar. Yeah, or you know, uh, I used to work at Warehouse Music back in in high school, and we yeah. there, there was a time where you could do that there too. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you talk to the guy at the record store and see what he thought was good that you hadn't heard yet. And, and you'd listen to it at the record store. So where along the way did you get connected with the local hardcore scene? I mean, uh, that first Habry show, I remember I met Nick Cox. I went with, oh, with uh, John Professor. Memmer. 
You know John Member Gay, but oh I, hell yeah, uh, Ryan. I don't, you know, John and I went to uh, middle school together. Oh okay. And so we start getting into heavy metal together, like Pantera, Metallica, Down, all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, at probably you know I think we got into heavier stuff a little bit before punk, and then we kind of steered away from that into punk, and then. Yeah. I remember I hung out with that that like group of people like Morgan and yeah. John Mimmer Caleb. and Caleb and yeah. all them. I hung yeah. out with all those guys. Not to be confused with Caleb from Ten Crowns, yeah, um, yeah. another fellow, um, the Islander. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> he's awesome, dude. But um, we w- we would all go to a bunch of shows together and stuff. And I was straight edge at the time. Mm-hmm. We uh, and I remember, and it was it was a lot of fun, dude, because you you just had something with like another group of people. Where like you were displugged, you you were disconnected socially from the main thing mm-hmm. that got people to be social in their late teens and early twenties, which was drinking, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. you could you could you could kind of focus in on music and like how are we going to get to the show and everybody kind of getting together and carpooling. Well, I remember at that Haybridge show it was March nineteen ninety eight. I remember two things about the show. One. John had an Earth Crisis shirt on, and I didn't have any hardcore band shirts yet, so I wore my helmet shirt, I remember. Yeah, close enough. But Nick, (laughs) long-haired Nick Cox, approaches us and goes, oh, you like Earth Crisis? And he just started talking to us, and and he invited us out to the Holocene say after Jolly Science. Jolly Science, as we used to call it. Um, Yeah. And uh, we didn't get to go because, you know, we were getting, we were like 15 getting picked up by our parents, but. Yeah. I I met Nick Cox early on. I met him over at, uh. Uh, race trader, and it was supposed to be race trader in Zao. Yeah, at Urban Underground. Right? At Urban Underground, yeah. yeah. And uh, uh, I, I talked to Nick briefly. He was like firing something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he I, he was. I think it was seven seconds, and I ended up going to see seven seconds at Fitzgerald's, mm-hmm. and that was like after like a long hiatus. Like seven seconds hadn't played for a long time, mm-hmm. and he was like, "Oh man, you should go to this." Blah blah blah. Seven seconds and. I ended up talking with him like at that show. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. I mean, that was he was like the first person that said, "Hi, I'm so and so, and oh, you like this stuff." Like, well, cool. he was he was like a really outgoing. Like, this is a cool. Like, everyone's included. He had that mindset. Yeah, a yeah. lot of like the early straight edge guys did not. They were like, "Oh, I'm I'm a cool guy," and I'm not going to name a bunch of names, but like there was a lot of dudes that were like, "Yeah, I know who you are. I see you. You've been around." Well, at that same show, the uh, Habry show at the Abyss. Yeah. That's where I guess I started to see Scarred for Life shirts and oh, people okay. passing yeah. out. I don't think it was demos yet, but they were. There was a lot of talk, and I remember now. Okay, like Rob and all his crew and all those guys were there. We didn't know them yet. Wait, what? What year is this? Ninety eight. Ninety eight. Early okay. ninety eight. Yeah. So, um, that that you know they were prepping for that first show when they opened right. up for Earth Crisis, Madball. It, it, is this post New Earth Straight Edge crew? During. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it used to be on the flyers, right? Yeah. Just just make it sure. So, because my first Houston Hardcore show was, it was Will to Live, and it was their first show as Will to Live. Okay. That might have been like next year or something? I don't know. I, know, I, I, didn't, I didn't start like going... To, my first local hardcore show, I think, was in like '97 or '98, and it was Will to Live at Fitzgerald. Yeah, so and like I had already been, I already liked Hatebreed. I'd seen them at Warp Tour, mm-hmm. and I'd been to a couple. I'd been, I'd seen like Biohazard, Machine Head, and Slayer. I remember and, that tour, it, and I'd been to like all these shows. 
but it wasn't like a thing. And I was like, right. dude, there's got to be an underlying thing. All yep. these like kind of punkish bands think all these metalish bands and like they they there's a thing. They all right, got to be right. friends somehow. And I was watching Will to Live, and I was like, man, these guys sound a lot like Hatebreed. And you know, like it's so weird, dude. I wonder how like Gorilla Biscuits fits into this. I was thinking this, and fucking. They're like, this is our last song. It's a cover song. Yeah. The song is called New Direction, New Direction yeah, yeah, yeah. by right, Gorilla right. Biscuit. And I was like, oh, dude, that was it. Yeah, that was yeah, it. Yeah. And like after that, I was. And like, they Hook. used to cover yeah. uh, "Do What You Want" by Bad Religion. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 they, yeah, yeah. yeah and so before that, I was going to PIX shows, mm. and 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 that little crew, and it, I I never understood, and I kind of found out later, but I never understood why a lot of those cats never left the southeast in the Pasadena area. Okay. And, and I was like, man, there's got to be something else going on. And, and, uh, and, and so I found, I found, uh, will to live. And then I had started going to Missouri city park shows. Yeah. And it was because Rob was so nice at that first show. Later on, I met you, uh, later on, I met you, I met you, uh, Daniel in Laporte at, uh, a burning inside, Shit, was it Finer Truth? It had to have been. Finer Truth played out there some, and uh, I remember there was like a fest one time. And I don't think Finer Truth played, but Burning Side played. I remember being out there for that. Yeah, it was a fest, and uh, and, and and so then I I started getting connected to Houston that way. Yeah. Speaking remember, of South Houston, we played out there once with uh, In Control and Holding On. Yep. That yeah, was I was there. Awesome show. Yeah, man. I got my uh, tooth chipped. <laughs> uh, that because, was a crazy show because what was it it was holding on covered descendants yeah do 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 and then he stuck the mic right in my teeth <laughs> well and, and i remember uh in control covered Gigi allen and die when you die and that was on in control play the hit seven inch which was on green i have that yeah. and brian jackson thought it would be cute to, to go up and and like be all up on zach yeah and Zach wasn't having it, just laid him down <laughs> with that guitar head. He was like, wham! <laughs> Good night. And then also that night. I think I played bass for your mistake at that show, too. Oh, okay. wow. Because I showed up, and what was it Trip was their bassist? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Trip couldn't make it. And so, James, <laughs> so, so Neely was like, hey. Extenuating circumstance. Yeah. Neely's like, hey, you're, uh, you know what these songs sound like, so I'm going to show you them right now. <clears throat> yeah. And he's like, you can do it. I was like, yeah, whatever. Whatever. It doesn't even have to be good. So Yeah. No, not, I mean, if if I was playing bass in your mistake for a while, like you can definitely knock it out the park. Sure. Yeah. Sure, yeah. Uh, and, and speaking of in control that night, getting out of control, I was doing keg stands with skinhead todd that night oh yeah and then later on pizza showed up that was supposed to be for in control just ate that motherfucker we ate all that pizza <laughs> we ate That's all that excellent. pizza and the the singer of in control what's his name um ryan uh, ryan. ryan ryan he, he comes in and he's like oh man where's our food we're hungry <laughs> Good job. <laughs> Just a band on tour trying to eat. Yeah. And he starts looking around, and, and me and Todd are like, oh, I don't know. And he just starts trashing the place. He starts throwing shit around. And <laughs> That's fucking awesome, dude. And we're just making, we're just like, oh, man, dude's pissed, man. This sucks. Yeah, they, they were good. I saw them with Fields of Fire, too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and my luck. Was it and fit? my luck, it yeah. fits, yeah. 
Britt booked that. Yeah. Yeah. I remember some things. I find my memory's getting shitty now. Yeah, mine's getting shitty because shows run together. I was looking forward to this conversation. For one, there's going to be a lot of laughs. But two, y'all are going to remind me of things I completely forgot about. Of course. Of course. <laughs> How about that time you didn't let Pride Kills play on that fall court? Oh, oh okay. Let's yeah, talk me, about right? that. Yeah, you said you were going to smash my face with a cinder block. I don't think I said that. You said it online, dude. Wait, are, what, said, what, okay, maybe I did. What, what, what message? What are we going to bring board? it to fruition? What do you think? What, what message <laughs> board is this? There's some cinder blocks out here. <laughs> what message board was it this, was though? It was the TXC HC forum. Or okay. was it Houston? Dude, it wasn't me. Dude, it wasn't me. I mean, what were we going to do? The year before you attacked security. I, okay, look, dude, but it was warranted. Okay, that wasn't, first of all, it wasn't a, just me. Secondly, we bought a case of beer. This is how that went down. This is important. <laughs> it's important. We wanted to bring in like three cases of beer that we had already bought that were in the car. And they were like, no, no outside beer. And Luke, you know, was like, well, uh, hey, look, I'll go figure this out. He goes over to the bartender. <laughs> he's like, hey, let me buy 24 cans. And the guy's like, okay. He's like, yeah, leave it in the box. And the guy's like, okay. So we're like, cool. We got a case of beer on stage. Yeah. So we're on stage and like, you know, we're cracking cans and just doing our thing, having a good time. And um, security starts being like, hey, motherfucker. Like, and he's a big dude. He reached up and he's crawling on the stage because he's fatter and shit and can't get up there like a, like a decent human being. Wait, where was this at? It was it Meridian? Was Meridian. Yeah. And this was a fall core? This was fall core, what, 06? Yeah, it was 06. It wasn't. Was, it wasn't yeah. the one that was like real big, where like no. all the people were on stage for us. I don't think. I think it was the biggest one that we had. Uh, no, here. No, here's the thing, though. So no, no, we no. Never, hold on, we let me never finish. talked about this. Let me. Though. Okay, but that's why we're talking about. It. So what happened? This guy wormed up on the stage and grabbed the. Was fucking, I there? I think uh, I am Wolf played that one. Okay. Yeah. He grabs the beer. He yeah. grabs a case of beer that's by Paul Nasty's kick drum. And he goes to try to warm off the stage with it. And I ran over and kicked him in the face. I was like, get the fuck off the stage. That's my beer. And that was it, dude. And then, like, people well, were okay. like, then I saw security, anytime people were dancing, start trying to, like, rein it in. Like, like stop people from dancing, stop people. And I was like, okay, everybody in GAMC, dude, fucking unload on these security. Mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. fuck these motherfuckers. And then it was like, pop, pop, pop. Like, those guys getting cheap shotted. And they were, like, scared by that point. Yeah. And I did this thing, and I've done it since. I also accidentally hit Jason Friedman with a mic in the face once during a uh, Oh, the whip. Crumbs. The whip. I, no, I just threw it that time. I just oh, okay. threw yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, like, blind, like, like <clears throat> no eyes threw it, and it just knew where to go. <laughs> and so I threw this mic stand Because like you know that. the whip thing. Yeah, that yeah, was yeah. my thing. Yeah, the whip. <laughs> The whip is when I'm I not, I wasn't trying to say it was my thing. I wasn't trying to. The whip is when you wrap the mic around your hand and you give it about ten or eight feet, yeah. depending on how tall the stage is, and then you can fucking drill someone with the mic. Yep. And you can pop it right back to you. Yep. Yeah. So that's the whip. All right. But what happened is I end over ended the mic stand and I fucking hit. No one ego of, here. None I, of us got egos. I hit one of the I hit one of the security guards in the back of the head. And he was, he was like, kind of fucked up. Okay, yeah. And they called the cops. Yeah. And they fucking put me in handcuffs. Right. And they took me backstage. <laughs> and my wife was there. Yeah, Sarah was there. Uh, and oh, it, God. Yeah. This was an ordeal. See? This was the fucking year. Yeah. This was the 10 Crowns last show. You played bass for 10 Crowns. Yes. That's when it was. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. So here's, here's the thing. Yeah. Okay. I'm... I didn't see any of this, right? I'm so that's the, what happened. So yeah. it was like, really, we weren't really in the wrong. 
and Meridian is just notorious for just being. They were like run by these fucking stupid money grubbers. It wasn't a hardcore venue. No, not at all. Because we couldn't have it at Ham's place. We couldn't have right. it at Walters or Meridian. So Willow was. I didn't ever meet those people. Right. Willow. Willow and I were running the fest at that point. Right. And Britt had at that point handed over. Like I'm not doing it no more. Yeah. Like a couple years prior to that. Oh, okay. Yeah, it, it was okay. like oh four. I think she quit. Okay. Okay. Like so, okay. but but here's the thing. And then you and I never talked about this, but I think you thought I had something against Sprite Kills or something, which I never have had anything against. Well, yeah, I mean, it's like the Texas showcase for the year. And you, right. I mean, not even a fuck you or nothing. It was just like, no, we're just not going to invite you guys to play. But and, that, and that's what I was okay. upset about. And but, then it got all online and stupid. And I was but just. But then the next time we saw each other, it wasn't stupid. I was like, hey, man, how you doing? <laughs> well, I mean, it was okay. But it, 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 granted, we had a little bit of breathing room. Between the next time yes, I saw you. Yes, yes, yes. So it was kind of like the way I felt about it was just like Daniel, like being DIY and like for the bands and for like what hardcore is about. I can't see how you would be like, cool, Meridian, that's great. Yeah, fuck them guys. No, but you know, so it kind of felt like, yeah, fuck is, this, them. I don't like them anyways, kind it, of thing. I'm sure that's how you feel, but we never talked about it. I mean, to me, it was we didn't, the next year, right? This is when it became an issue, was the next year. Uh-huh. When it like our only option was to do it at Meridian again. We did Meridian two years in a row. Reminder, this is something from two thousand. Yeah, we're talking about personal beef <laughs> that we never talked about. Are you going to the bathroom? But, I gotta uh, go pee. <laughs> yeah. All right, but so anyway, all that happened was like the next year Willow goes, Hey man, I don't you know, we still can't do it at Walters. We we don't have you know, we need a bigger venue. Yep. So it looks like it's going to be Meridian again, and they're not going to let Pride Kills come back. And I go, well, I mean, I don't know what we're supposed to do about that. Just stop the world, you know? <laughs> Melt with me. <laughs> no, no. Me, I, I mean, it makes it makes sense. To me, I, I was just like, yeah, well, I mean, that was like, and I didn't even know all the details of what happened because I was, after my bands played that year, I was sorting out money for everybody. I, right. was, I was in the back taking care of it when all that drama you just described well, happened. And, and what had happened is we, we got like a little nasty online and you came and you were like, hey, look, you guys have a history of being disrespectful to a venue and this and that and this and that. And why would a big venue let you guys play after what happened last year? Right. And I was kind of like, I it, wasn't, it wasn't my fucking fault. But okay. I, I didn't say that. Well, I, I, was, mean, I was just t- like, t- I'm going to hit you. Well, then hey, then dude, the- I don't think I said I was going to hit you with cinder block. Oh, I remember that part. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which is I'm, fine. I'm sorry, Daniel. I don't care. No, it was fine. Dude, yeah. it's funny. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> you never did, so I'm, I appreciate I'm, it. I'm sincerely sorry. <laughs> no, but, you know, the next year it was like, when we're building a lineup, it was like, well, we're not gonna, we try to not have the same headliner every year. So we were just kind of like, well, last year was crazy. Like, let's have a year where that's, it doesn't have to be Pride Kills or whatever. So Sure. It doesn't have to be a to, circus this to, year. To me, it didn't, it didn't uh, seem like a big deal mm-hmm. to have a different lineup. Or sure. Uh, but, well, um, so who was on that year? What year? The, 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 what was that? 2007. John, John Bonet. No, two, wait, that 2006. Was 2006. Oh, okay, okay. That's, that's why, why it was, it was so a big. Crazy. We're talking about the next year. Yeah. Well, I don't know because I didn't go. I mean, it was. It was. It was. No, was it? It was a. It was a lot of overlap, but I don't remember exactly. Wasn't it 07 the last year mistake show? Supposed to be. No, but it wasn't. was it? 
Was it really? Hard to remember, man. No, I know. 2007 was a big uh, Iron Age bitter end year because they had oh, the, their shit. records come out. Okay, hold on. Yeah. So 2007 was back at Walter's. No, no, 06, 07 in a row were at Meridian. And the reason oh, the reason it was an issue with Pride Kills at Meridian is we didn't, I remember, we didn't have another option. And that's what I just explained to, to Gabe was like, and they weren't going to let Pride Kills come back. We were just like, okay, well, we'll work with it, you know. Willow and I as promoters, you know. So. Well, fuck, maybe I didn't go to 07 either. It's hard to remember. We'll have to go back and look at the. <laughs> God damn. Yeah. Well, yeah, man. I mean, fuck, that was 14 years ago. I know. So. It's funny. <laughs> it's hilarious that he brought that up on the podcast. Well, that that's what that's what this is for, you know. <laughs> it was rare. I remember. I mean, God forbid we talk about what you're actually doing now. Like I know the, I the know. books, yeah. the the speaking engagements, I, Tooth and Claw. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, old drama is always fun. <laughs> who, who doesn't like that? I like that we at least just cleared the air about it because yeah. I'm sure. I mean, I let you know. I don't think about that anymore. But I'm sure we never talked about it. We never yeah. talked about it in person. Like there were threats on the line. <laughs> Like, fuck you, fuck you. Yeah. I hit you with a center block. Yeah. <laughs> okay, you go ahead and do that. Yeah. <laughs> and then next time I saw him, I think, was like uh, at uh, Fun 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 Fest mm-hmm. later that year. And it's like, hey, Gabe. Hey, Daniel. And everything was cool. And right? I think we were watching Neurosis and talking about how awesome it was. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. That sounds about right. Because, yeah. you know, like, fucking who cares? Well, of course, you know, and that's why I was asking what message board it was on. It was TXHC, you know, so much shit was sent on. Oh, yeah. A lot of threats from everybody. Yeah, for sure. I did my share of pissing people off, too. So, yeah. (laughs) Well, I'm sure if I said I was going to hit you with a brick, I was pissed off. (laughs) (laughs) Center block. (laughs) So um, tell us. uh, Tell us about what you're doing right now. Right now. What's up with that uh, Tooth and Claw? Well, uh, Tooth and Claw is me, Scott Krause, who's the guitarist of Earth Crisis. Yeah. Uh, James Chang, who was the main songwriter in Undying. You know, his main band with, and he's also in this band with Scott from Earth Crisis called Sect. Oh, with cool. Chris Callahan. Uh, and then the, the drummer is Cameron, who is, uh, he's the drummer of uh, Magnitude. Okay. Which is like a young straight band awesome. right now, and we're kind of hampered by the fact that our drummer is in magnitude. They're playing like every weekend. We get offered a show, <laughs> so and he's really he's a great drummer. And, yeah, uh, we're you know all the band is in north eastern North Carolina except me. So, yeah. uh it's no problem for me to fly in and play a show or something if we can coordinate. But uh, it just hasn't worked out mainly because Cameron is in high demand with Magnitude. And so uh, we put out a record, like, what, back in May? Yeah. A full length on uh, Good Fight Music. Insane album. Fucking insane. I'm very, I'm very proud of it. I'm glad you like it. Thank very you. good album. Um, I didn't. I didn't I, it's not what I was expecting. And it's awesome. Yeah. I, you know, um, and, and that's not like, oh, I was expecting it to be some garbage or something, but it, it was well, really think, different and really good. Yeah. Well, it's, it's Earth Crisis with, with you on vocals, and, and I'm a big Earth Crisis uh, fan, and, and it's not 
it's not exactly Earth Crisis, but it's it's the best way I can describe it. Whenever I try to get people to check out Tooth I, and Claw, I just got it like a like a lot more metal and like cool yeah. cool well, yeah. stuff. So it's like you know, so it's like later era Earth Crisis with Daniel on vocals, kind of like what I'm trying to get at. Right, and the we didn't want it to be just like Earth Crisis. So there's those other elements where it's like basically gothic European metal. Yeah, yeah, that's what uh, I'm talking. It's kind of you know. Oh uh, God. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, very esoteric. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, a going lot, back to their roots. A lot of that, a lot of that stuff had always influenced the other bands that Scott and Jimmy were in, like My Dying Bride, Paradise Lost, At the Gates, yeah, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think when everybody was younger, and say Scott was writing Firestorm, they couldn't achieve, like they couldn't try to like hack it in that realm of music. You know, it yeah. takes more skill, right? You know, so everybody's a little more mature in their songwriting now, and they're like, let's make this. Basically, Scott would say a lot of this stuff is considered weird by the Earth Crisis guys. Like, he's not allowed to put the synth little layers and sure. the melodies and stuff. Well, that's clean, cool. Clean that's why you parts. have another project, right? Yeah, right, yeah. Right. So, so this is where his other riffs and I, composition ideas get to go now this is the outlet that's that. awesome yeah, yeah. that's really cool and it's cool that it works like that yeah and, right. it, and it's pushed me to try uh to sing about different things explore different lyrical subjects to even try singing at all sure which is yeah. not something i'd ever which is a huge hurdle I, I, yes. like, I feel you yeah, on yeah. it and yeah trying to hold two notes that's challenging man yeah i like <laughs> I, I uh, but I'm happy with how it came out. Like I'm really happy, and I hope we get to finally do some shows in 2022, 2021 as a wash. But in 2022, uh, I hope people know that we intend to actually be a real band, not just like a Look, side project that sure it's not gonna do anything. That'd be um, awesome, man. Like, and, and, I, and I'm yeah. sure there's opportunity for that. I mean, that's gonna yeah. happen. I mean, we yeah. got we got things we're talking about, but I mean, it's just. It seemed like everything was getting, by the time uh, things opened back up after this first wave of the pandemic and the numbers went down and people booked a ton of stuff, mm. it's like everybody had a plan and we hadn't tried to organize anything. And we got left out of that whole first wave of everything. Getting, yeah, I know that feeling. Yeah. And yeah. so, um, you know, we still haven't played one show. So uh, we're trying to work on lining some cool things up and hopefully... It works out with all our schedules. Because, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Die Young is not so active. We're like a special occasion band. Sure. You know, mm -hmm. like, but but still a band. We are still a band. I th people talk about us like we broke up and never came back, but I think we've done all our best stuff since we've come back. Like, we've just been more of a studio band and an occasional show band. We're not the tour horse band that we were in the 2000s. And uh, and uh, since we're not in everybody's faces anymore, they kind of just think the only thing, the only era of Die Young that exists was that that prime era when we played 200 shows a year. Well, and also like that's what imprints on people's minds. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's like really hard to shake that, you know. Like, yeah. It, it, personally, I've noticed that like with it, like with Pride Kills, sure. we were like near the end, we'd put out a seven inch. We were trying to do something different, and just yeah. like no one was receptive. Like no one liked it. No one, except for like people that weren't even our fans, like yeah, punk yeah. rock people like well, yeah, and, you uh, know, and that was it. Elvis party, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know it. So, so, so like I feel that, yeah, and and it's like 
when you try to change, especially within a band name, it's it, it's hard and it, hard to build, and mm-hmm. you know, just um, I don't know what it takes. I think a lot of it has to do with how old people are when they hear you initially mm-hmm. and they experience you initially, like for three or four years, dude. I mean, it, it, it's like during those formative years, it's really hard to like add to that idea or augment yeah, but that the idea. Punk rocker in me wants to not give a fuck about that and just keep just give it a fair shot yeah you know i mean because like elvis party was still cool you know what i mean well yeah i mean we just put that on record it's never been on the internet it it just never was on anyone's radar we played one fucking show with it and that was it but um you didn't y'all play uh this is hardcore with it no No. we did like all our early shit at this is yeah and that was a fiasco that was i was there (laughs) i was on stage i'm still upset about it yeah like let's not even talk about it okay i was mad (laughs) Well, uh, no, but that is a, a, a phenomenon. I, I was mad for reasons that were were internal with the band. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah. Well, but this phenomenon of people's experience with music, with a band, oh, <laughs> at a certain time in their lives is more important than even, like, putting out the record. Yeah, that's right. You know? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I mean, how many records have I put out since Die Young came back? It's like people who like 2003, 2004, 2005, Die Young, they don't yeah. even know these new records exist or care yeah. because mm-hmm. we didn't get to play. We didn't get to like, kind of like be an important moment in their lives with this new stuff. That's interesting. You know? Uh, okay. So to that point uh, yeah. real quick, and, and this is why I got it stuck in my head where I'm like, ah, I don't fuck with later era Die Young. I can't. <laughs> no, fuck that. Is I remember whenever you first started Die Young, mm-hmm. you were like, I'm going to do a heavy hardcore band with no breakdowns. I didn't say no breakdowns. Ah! I didn't say no. I, it just wasn't going to be like, hate breed, burn their lives, where you stop and go, dun, 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 dun. Man, I swear <laughs> you said no breakdowns. It was certainly more punk influenced. But dude, I mean, look, the first demo has... Breakdowns, they're not. Yeah, but it was it was definitely more punk influence. It was it was a fast, mean. It was like buried angry. alive, but a little more punk. A lot more punk. Yeah, that's a cool that's a cool description. A yeah. lot more punk. I wanted to have songs that hit that hard, but mm. were a little more like you know the philosophy I had was because coming out of Finer Truth, where we wrote like nine songs ever. Yeah. As a band, right or. I think we only released like eight or nine songs ever as, as Finer Truth. We tried to write as a band, and we were a band like for four years. That's just very unproductive. And I was, uh, those guys were starting to go to school, and I was like, eh, I'm going to drop out of school and buy a van. Right. And, and right. my idea was, no, we're going to do it like Bad Religion Suffer. All the songs can sound the same. They're going to be one to two minutes long, and we're going to fucking go. Yeah. And and the songs will be easy enough to play that it doesn't matter if dudes want to quit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, pragmatic. But I so, love it. So, I, I fucking love it too. Yeah. It, it was Rotating an Rotating door, right? keep it going. Yeah. yeah. This is this is about the engine. Right. It's interesting. Yeah. It's interesting that like you can do something <clears throat> you can achieve your goals while having that in mind. There's a, there's a lot of foresight in that. That's awesome. Sure, yeah. sure. Right. And and I think that's what people loved early on. I mean, I think People liked Dayong most early on. Maybe I just had too much to say as the years went on. And no, like, I, I, I. But well, <laughs> you had a lot to say early on too. I mean, I, I had the opportunity to, I would say, tour a decent amount with Dayong. Mm-hmm. 
and and see die young out of state quite a few times and see motherfuckers that i didn't know go off for die young Mm -hmm. out of state and in mexico too and it was very like kind of eye-opening watch yeah i think people like the energy that we brought like we were a band that was really just trying to do it because we i think that the anger was authentic i mean well fuck it we were 19 when we started that band. i mean yeah. neely was five years older but he was angry neely was <laughs> neely was 40 at the time yeah so. neely there's a there's a uh, there's a really funny it's Gerber just in baby. my head because i saw this phone call um caleb butler had a really funny um line about neely like the the neely analysis like succinctly put and it was he just his face gets so red and he's so mad and he can't move his mouth fast enough to get all the anger <laughs> and like when he starts talking when he's mad he's like I, oh, yeah, yeah yeah i recall that yeah love it um but yeah as years went on right and especially when we decided to come back in like 2013 2014 it was more about enjoying the experience of making music and being more of a what's the word we we thought things out more we were approaching things more maturely we weren't like we gotta go we gotta do or die you know it wasn't it was like let's just write some songs we think are good Mm. and uh people don't like that energy (laughs) die young as much like if you've come around on any of the later era stuff it's just you had to come you had to Except that there's a different approach. I, rem- I remember, yeah, I remember going and seeing it, and just like very, like a very concerted effort, being like, "Damn, dude, this is like really good. This is not really like the old Die Young, and it's awesome. Yeah, and like, that's okay. Because it was just hard to like make myself just. You don't have to have a fucking reaction. You don't have to be like, "Oh, fuck this," you know? Right, like right. this is cool. Oh, I feel, I feel a lot like we. We kind of have lost people that were originally into the band or invested in the band because the energy is different now. Sure, like we've just, but we, you know, we've we've. I just see it as evolution. Okay, we're not exactly what we were when we were twenty. Sure, and we shouldn't be. Why? Why should you yeah, pretend yeah, to be? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I mean, those early demo songs were just like "fuck you" songs. They were just like raw "fuck you" energy, right? As as I toured and I had a lot of time in the van, idle time at clubs and. I'm not a drinker or whatever. I'm sitting around reading philosophy, history, political issue books. And I was trying to learn how to talk about that stuff in my lyrics and like try to like make more sense. That's awesome. (laughs) And not just be blind rage, right? People don't like that. You try to be sensible. They're like, this is boring. Yeah. Well, it's weird. how, How does that, how does that fit into hardcore? How does it fit into hardcore? Right. And I mean, there's, I can think of any, number of examples of people who try to reconcile within themselves like the thinking man's hardcore right like where is that at like a uh, guy who comes to mind is a guy patrick from drug church and oh, that yeah, axe yeah. or grind podcast and those fellas like when you hear that you know it's it, it, it's like they they hash it out they discuss it out mm-hmm. right like what, where is, you know, like reactionary responses, yeah. blind rage, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you know, and do I, do I fit into this anymore? Right. Or, or like, you know what I mean? And, uh, how do I fit into this now? And it, it's really interesting because people do grow older well, and, and that doesn't necessarily mean that the scene is going to change as you grow. But right? it also, you know, 
I was trying to kind of stay true, maybe try to carry the torch of my earliest influences when I learned about DIY culture, which would have been trial. Oh, the kind of yeah. things Greg Binnick had to say and write about, or even Earth Crisis, singing about environmental issues and, and uh, people's movements, you know, singing about uh, Black Panthers and IRA and all mm. these interesting historical things. You know, a lot mm. of times Earth Crisis wasn't singing about themselves at all. Right? It was about historical narratives. Sure. And, uh, and, and the ALF and the ELF and enemies of the state kind of, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, that encouraged a lot of us to like, what are they talking about? You know, and, well, right, and not just you to, to start picking up books yes, and looking into yes. authors. Not just, yes. not just be a knee-jerk reactionary, right. but be like a well-thought-out, well-studied, right. like, like I'm here for a reason. And, I made a choice and, for a reason. And I think the more I invested in being kind of like, I don't know if it was a posturing or whatever, I just thought like I had a, a duty to learn and to carry a torch of not, not just being, you know, like reactionary, angry but to know why and then right. to try to get a big picture of where we're at as a society what the untold stories in history are like and uh that we're not taught in school and that kind of stuff and 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 try to relay it as a band yeah um but you know that's that's a slippery slope because then uh, i think especially houston more than anywhere else you can't like tell people anything <laughs> Can't you know? tell me shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which, but, like, what, what do you mean about about that? Like, expand on that. What well, I, I feel like when you said you got to play, maybe it was mostly Ten Crowns, right? When when y'all would play with Die Young around the country or in Mexico or something, and you saw that it was like, oh, people are into this. Yeah. I felt over time in Houston, people were less and less. Oh, okay. Right, you know? right, right. Yeah, and right, I learned, yeah. oh, like, well, and I think that's that's very much the working quality of Houston, especially. A lot of us got older, and we're just like, "Hey, man, we're just our best. We're just trying to work, and like, don't fucking come for fun." You know? Just being like oh, a lack okay, of interest. We, right? yeah, 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 yeah. But it wasn't like that everywhere, right? Like, I mean, Diane well, could, and, and Diane also could play Gilman Street for two hundred people, and they would go nuts, right? Also, so. think about this, Daniel. Like, constantly, like it's not a static system, right? So, yeah. in hardcore, like, you're speaking into existence all the time. We're doing it right now. But you were doing it with a concerted effort with Die Young, mm -hmm. right? You were trying to change. You got interested in different stuff. Yeah. And you just do. You do, and it becomes a thing. That doesn't mean that the system's receptive to it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right? It doesn't well, it mean... Was, right. It was different everywhere we went. Sure. You know? so, so maybe people are more receptive in other places. They were. Like, yeah. I imagine Gilman Street. They probably loved it. Yeah, and now I'm kind of like, man, those people... <laughs> Love it. <laughs> but... But, but, you know, like we played there a couple of years ago and it was a great time, you know? I, well, any, anytime I think of like, it, this, this is a good habit. Anytime I think of like you say a place or like a region or a genre or mm -hmm. something and you, you kind of like feel inside of you a knee-jerk reaction to be like, yeah, fuck those guys. <laughs> I always think about the best thing from there. So like with yeah, Gilman yeah. Street, I'm like, no, Sticky. Sticky came from Gilman Street. Oh, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Oh, no, yeah. no, no, no. It's, it's there's a great punk culture there. <clears throat> yeah. And they've kept DIY culture alive. There's, and I mean, there's a lot more. But I have that hardwired well, into my head yeah, to yeah. not be like a fucking media. No, no yeah. well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, it used to be like they wouldn't let bands play there that said certain things. Like, who had ever been on stage and you said pussy? 
they would ban you from Gilman. And oh wow, that's the kind of shit. There was a, they went, but then then they like kind of like back down on that. You know, it's like there's there's things about DIY culture or political activist culture everywhere. They're kind of like cannibalizing and they're restrictive and uh, it's almost like censorship. Absolutely. What if you said where it's like it's it's eating the eating itself? Yes, yes. And yeah. what it, if you were at Gilman and you said make a chai? <laughs> Do you think they'd like that? Yeah, that's fine. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. There was like some friction with Youth of the Day in the early days in Gilman. Oh, well. yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there was. Well, it, with there's with, actually with, a famous with Ray picture. And, and Tim from uh, Maximum Rock and Roll. Okay, because yeah. there's a picture of Youth of the Day playing there. I think. Yeah. I think it's on the back of those break down the wall shirts. Well, they were yeah, they were, like they were all selling. making fun of uh, straight edge people. The yeah. Gilman Street. Back well, and, and I'm just using that as an example. Like every, it is what I've learned. Everywhere you go, there's going to be elements of their local culture that you just don't identify with. Yep. And I think I've had my ins and outs with Houston scene where like I don't know what's going. And I was gone a lot, yep. so I felt like community here and what I was doing kind of drifted apart for a while. And uh, but now I'm really glad a lot of us have all stayed friends and that. I th- yeah, and I'm glad that I had friends heckling me in Houston when I tried to like speak up <laughs> because there's pe- there are people all over the country that they want to be they want to say something important right, but their skin's not thick enough to deal with the backlash. Like you oh, should you shit. should have to deal with that. I think you want to have a dialogue. Sure, you, you have yeah. to get your balls busted. So, well, that's a part of it. That's how yeah, you initiate yeah, yeah, the yeah. dialogue, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. But there's a lot of places where, you know, that's not, not acceptable. And I think, no, let it fly. Like, just let anything fly. Who cares? Sort it out. But uh, That's almost like an absurdist. Well, yeah, you should, you should I be like, able. I like that. I'm into that. Yeah. You yeah. should be able to allow other people to speak, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, more or less. Or, or, just, like, <laughs> or just like, don't take yourself too seriously exactly, because yeah. ultimately, yeah. like, if you have an inclination to say something, what does it really matter if someone doesn't accept, like what you have to say? Right? Yeah. Dude, I mean, I mean, Earth Christ is my favorite band. Uh, there's certainly things that members of that band uh, I would not be on board with if we had a discussion about it. Yeah. I mean, why, why should it rule them out as being a great band? Like I'm just using an example. It's just well, we, I think I think we that don't agree 100 percent on things. I th- we don't agree 100 percent on things. But yeah, well, that's I, reality. I, I think you're going to be really limited in what you're allowing yourself to listen to. If if you don't sure, if sure. you don't have that approach, at least a little bit, you got to have. Yeah, it. yeah. it's got to be there. Yeah. Well, uh, the Tooth and Claw record, for example, you mentioned absurdist mm. absurdism. Mm. I mean, that's kind of a philosophy that I that informed my state of mind when writing a lot of those songs. Right. It's maybe you people expected it to be a more political record. Cause, you know, members of Earth Crisis and dying. Obviously, yeah. People it, would expect that. So, it, like when I heard it, that's yeah. that's exactly what I expected. Right. And I was like, "Oh, let's hear this. Let's hear some breakdowns. See what we're doing. Mm-hmm. What are we dealing with here? Yeah. Right. And I was just like, "Oh, wow. This this is out of left field. You cool, know? cool, cool. Yeah. And and really cool. You know. And. uh yeah, I feel like I've become, with age or whatever, uh, less concerned with the political and just more concerned with, I don't know, maybe it's philosophical, but my, my own 
maintenance internally to not have to react to everything under the sun. Yeah, it's really hard for yeah. me, Daniel. Like, like I, I'm serious. I don't even. I don't think it's funny, but it's probably funny if you look at me. But I think everything to a point can be funny. As so. I, I, well, you got to laugh at yourself, right? Yeah, and yeah, it's, yeah. Like, it, it, it's like, it's like, like for the past ten years, I've just like made made a really just, you know, come to Jesus. Like, look at yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, stop just reacting. Stop being like a typecast fucking cartoon character. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, and. Yeah, yeah. It, and it, it's like when you do that, you do find that like there's there's stuff that like you you grow, you mm-hmm. change a mm-hmm. little bit, you become a little bit more tolerant, right? And and you and with the introspection, you start to see like man, there's there's a lot like not to like there. there there's a lot that oh, like sure. I could do without. Sure, you know? sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and that's awesome, man. I, I mean, it's good to hear other guys our age going through that. Is, is what I'm saying. Well, you know, uh, Ryan and I were at our friend, James from, who used to drum and die young, he got married the other night. Yeah. And uh, Ryan officiated the wedding, and we were hanging out at the wedding Pre- party. Presided over, even. Yeah, yeah. And um, we, I, I told you that quote, and I had gotten the quote out of uh, Catcher in the Rye. Okay. But the one about the mark of a immature man is that he'll, he'll die for a cause, and the mark of a mature man is that he'll live humbly for one. Mm. And... You know, to bring our personal conversation to this now where people can hear it publicly. I mean, that's that kind of informs, I think, where I've landed. I'm trying to just lead by example, by my own values, but not push my values on people. Uh, and this is what I found. So, like, if you ask hey, me about it, things, I'm and real doing. Real quick, we're, we're kind of talking about aging in an activist lifestyle. And, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so I used to do a lot of animal rights work. I used to right. work for PETA for about three years. Right. Um, and... Overall, I still back them. They're not perfect as an organization, just so people want to ask me what my thoughts about them are. But uh, overall, I still back them in their mission to uh, help animals. But, um, you know, I worked for them in my 20s, and I got kind of tired of that, the, the, the activist lifestyle. And it was almost like a, for me, it was like a military service. You, it's low paying. You go out there and you try to make a dent in the world for what you believe in, and then... You get worn out and you realize you got to maybe uh, take care of yourself a little better kind of thing. Um, but what I found is, for me, since I started doing the powerlifting stuff as a vegan and I put out the Way of the Vegan Meathead book and I would get asked to speak at festivals and talk about vegan strength diet, I feel like my ability to be an activist, so to speak, to, to help people open up to the ideas that I want to promote, just by being good at something and being approachable and letting them asking me questions versus, oh, wave a finger in everybody's face. Uh, it's been just it's better for my mental health, but I feel like I, an individual, am doing more since that way. This is totally, I don't know, I, I just feel like I impose less and I mind my own business more, but it's still, still working where I feel like I'm doing something productive for cause, I believe. So, so let me ask you this. Is, do you feel like you, you move from direct action to more leading by example, or do you feel like both are, are direct action? Well, you know, and I'm not putting down direct action or any other form of indirect activism. Um, I think they all have their place. But in our individual lives, to sustain the flame of wanting to get in direct action movements past, uh, you know, I have friends who are 
convicted eco-terrorists, right? Uh, that the restitution they'll have to pay and the marks on the record will follow them for the rest of their lives. And uh, I think they tried to act in the service of an ideal, and they've personally paid a price for that. And uh, I personally was not willing risk so much. So many. So maybe yeah. your goals coincide with your well-being. Like, like your yeah. personal, like what you want to live out and what you want people yeah. to do yeah, yeah. can coincide w- with your best interest as you define I, it. You know, right? I, in, a, in a sense, I had to give up on the idea that the world I want to see will even happen in my lifetime. Mm. And I just had to yeah. accept that uh, on the other side of the darkness of that, every person or animal that I can help or impact is a victory in itself. It, you know, I kind of gave up on saving the world. I just got more focused on taking care of myself and helping where I can. And uh, I think for some people, that's especially for younger people who've got the fire idealism. That might even sound kind of despicable, right? It's not. It's because it's not enough to change when you just dial it back and you just focus. on Look, I mean, I owe it to my parents to not go to jail for right i mean i kind of start to look at my family and think we've got some problems here in the family and i need to not add to them right yeah. so even well, if your, i was your responsibility to those outside of yourself or, yeah but I, I guess i have withdrawn the scope where i feel all my responsibility lies and it's more immediate now uh, it's more the people that i'm you know, like, well, it's less, it's less abstract and more concrete. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And and maybe that's because also if your personal life, if people close to you start to need help, that's well, right. Well, who's most responsible to help them? Oh, it's gonna be me first, right? So, um, at the very least, I was trying to not add to the problems in my inner circle. You know, and um, those are just decisions you have to make. But you know, I guess this is interesting conversation because. When we were 16, 17, 18 and getting into this music, you know, like we can watch younger bands now who will talk some big talk about killing cops and politicians and you're just like, that's cute, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I've done that myself, you know? So people would be like, and maybe that's another thing where people are like, you know, Dayang's not the same energy because... You're not calling for the execution of certain political leaders well, anymore. Because, because you start to think about like, where does this fit into my day-to-day life? What, what, how can I actually, what type of shit can I actually live out? Right, right. I you started know, thinking what? about being accountable with my words first. 100%. Think about, um, think about an analogy of like people, and this is political. I'm not saying you're political. It's an analogy. Mm-hmm. But I'm thinking about like the people who are just just on the news on the news on the news on the news and telling you how to vote is like their vocation yep and but you know what those same people do not volunteer at shelters oh yeah. they don't go to their church and help the kids they don't you know what i mean like act action mm-hmm. act right like right. like real action not like typing onto a thing that someone might read yeah, because there's also not a lot of commitment in that kind of action. Right, right, right. It's performative. It's easy. Yeah. It's easy for me to do that. It's right. very similar to a fundamentalist Christian that just wants to come tell you about Jesus Christ so you can be saved for their own sake, right. for yep. their own edification. Right, right, right. right. Very similar. You yeah. know, it comes from the same place. It doesn't come from a loving place. That's like 
I want to see this community do well. Yeah. Right. I'm worried about my image first, and right. hopefully that helps the community, right? And I, I think um, even even if um, most people, most younger people, I don't think are very cognizant of that, and they do feel like they're making a, a big impact, and, and maybe they are making an impact, but more direct impacts, like like we were talking about earlier, like pragmatic mm-hmm. living. This is mm-hmm. how I live. Which this is, a, is how I. Which make is a my wisdom. Difference. It's a wisdom. Yeah. Um, a lot of the stuff I was trying to write on the Tooth and Claw record was trying to come from a wiser place. And uh, not be reactionary at all. Almost kind of trying to achieve some zen with how fucked up the world is. Yeah. Um, and in fact, you know, Die Young is one thing. I think most people would say Die Young's a pretty pessimistic band. Um, I think in the Tooth and Claw record... I was coming from a philosophically pessimistic kind of base, you know, mm. but I made a commitment to myself that pretty much every song had to have some life affirmative declaration, even if it was subtle, mm. a yes to life, you know, which um, I think in my 20s, I had a hard time reconciling and, and, and saying it's, okay, it's even okay to feel that way or say yes to the world and how fucked up it is, but... Um, I don't. I find a lot of hope in Die Young. There's a lot of desire to want things different. There you I, go. Yeah, yeah. But you know, desire is a passion. Passion is ultimately dark energy. It's fucking destructive. You know what I mean? Yeah. It can be. Yeah. Can, can be. be. Yeah. It can. It can be a good motivator. Yeah. But yeah, unbridled passion. Yeah, yep. yeah. I mean, yeah. And Die Young was more of that, um, at least in the earlier days. You know? Ungoverned is what I was um, thinking. Yeah. Whereas Tooth and Claw is more like. I tried to forego the passion and be more wise, mm. you know, uh, and, and right from a place where you can say, this is very Joseph Campbell. Uh, you participate joyfully in the sorrows of the world because what other option do you have? Mm. You don't. And that's back to absurdism. Yeah. yeah. The whole thing's absurd. Yeah. That you're here yes. and you want to know what's going to go on and you're never going to be able to, and I, then you're going to die. I don't know if you know this, but the matrix ins- inscription on the LP Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, it's from Myth of Sisyphus. Oh, I did not know yeah. that. I love I yeah, love yeah. that. Yeah, that's all. I, I, yeah, and listeners, Myth <laughs> of Sisyphus is a book by Albert Camus. Yeah. <laughs> so um, that's the kind of stuff I was reading. That was the, like, the the stranger look. fucked me up enough to not dig any deeper with Camus. Well, the 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 Myth of Sisyphus is really like. It's it's dark, but the thing is, is that it's not dark for the sake of being dark, which is what existentialism gets like right. gets all the guff for. Anyways, right. it's just like God, you guys are a bunch of sad sack. Yeah. <laughs> it's but, very life affirmative at the but end. The thing you know? is, is that it is life affirmative because yeah. he comes to the conclusion that no, you don't have to kill yourself because your existence is absurd. Right. You can right. project meaning into your existence. Right. right. Uh, which is kind of you know again is is very much what. Um, you know, I don't know how people interpret it, how they feel about it when they listen to the Tooth and Claw record, but that was something that I was trying to offer. That's awesome, man. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen to it yeah, today. Yeah. That's awesome. So, we haven't touched on this yet, but uh, shit, for a number of years now, you've been digging pretty deep into writing. Sure. How did that come together? I mean, I think I always had an inclination to write in some capacity because before I was ever in Finer Truth um, 
I, I always wanted to write lyrics, and I would even write songs without music okay. before I learned how to play guitar. And when, um, when I was writing for Finer Truth as a teenager, you know, I think the first incarnation of Finer Truth, I was probably 14, before uh, Jeff joined as a singer, and we reinvented ourselves as a straight-edge band. Um, I, I, always had, I always had an inclination to write to express myself lyrically in some yeah. way, you know, maybe even were, were you writing all the lyrics in finer truth? No, no, no. Jeff uh, wrote them all. And, and that was the thing. I think sometimes I went to him and said, Hey, can you write this? Or what about a line like this? And Jeff wanted to do his own thing. Yeah. And I, I wasn't ever trying to take his position in the band, but I did want to be somebody that could say what I want to, to have say some in input in what's going yeah. on. So yeah. it was inevitable that something like die young would have to be created. True. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, you know, that's the thing I loved about punk, too, is it, it's harder to sing in a metal band because it the time signatures, it's, it's restrictive of how free-flowing your word can be. Yep. And so it, the, all that early Die Young stuff where it's just like... I fucking love it. More syllables than you can actually fit into the line because, you know, the 4-4 time, you can just... You could even write a song before you have the music, and then it's probably going to fit because of the four-four time. Just cutting, yeah. cutting, yeah. cutting, paste like yeah. some prepositional phrases and stuff. Like I know, yeah, I know exactly what yeah. you're talking about because it's an open cadence, right? Yep. Where right. where you have lots of options for delivery. You can da 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 da. You can you can do syncopation. You can do all kinds of cool stuff. And like metal is like, here, try to do something with this. Honestly, with the punk stuff in the four-four. Everything just sounds like a marathon. Yeah, like really, yeah. whenever you write it, it just sounds like. You know, so I would say my early writing was all lyrical. Okay. Whether there was music to it yet or not, so it was poetic, lyric, whatever. Um, I don't know. I think I think with age, I, I wanted to learn how to delve deeper than that so you gotta learn how to tell and um kind of wait you know like like the book Canefield, the novel that i put out a couple years ago um and that was your first published work no 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 the first one was the way of the vegan meathead cool. and but i started writing Canefield first that okay. one took me about three years okay um, the, the vegan meathead thing was because once I started competing in powerlifting and being vegan, people just actually asked me. They asked me all the time, so I thought, oh, I need to just give them something. Once again, a very pragmatic move. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, there, was a, there was a somewhat of a demand to please write this for us or because we want to know what you're doing. You know? And um, there's, some, there's some, like, you know, personal narrative in that book, but it's, it's not the same headspace as... You know something like Camefield, which is basically con confessional fiction. You know, I'm still there's there's definitely fiction elements, even though a lot of the stuff happened pretty close to how I describe it. A lot of it did, not all of it though. Um, and it's it's totally different headspace to even fictionalize real events and try to write about them in in some kind of I don't know, like emotional, emotive, romantic kind of way, you know, so that people can feel it, you know, mm. it's totally different than telling them about a vegan diet. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. So um, I had those two kind of alter egos going. Sometimes I'd work on the way of the vegan meathead for three weeks at a time. And yeah. Then I'd go back to writing the, the fiction book. 
And um, and then the poetry stuff is just that's just reactionary, emotional, raw. A lot of not not a whole lot of like tailoring that. It's just like oh bleh. yeah yeah. <laughs> I felt this today. I got to write it real. Quick. How are you liking? Or do you plan to continue writing? I like, I think that's like more novel, of, like a novel form or like a yeah. fiction. Yeah, you know, I've absolutely got another idea for a novel that'll be further removed from my personal life. And yeah, that's what I want to be good at now. Because you know we know there's no. I mean, I always have like a a middle class kind of safety net job background that I can live on. But if I'm going to succeed in anything in the arts, it's not going to be music as we are. Mm. Right, like we could keep playing, and we can keep writing, and I and, and I do, and, and I, like I will, it. I yeah, like I, it. yeah, absolutely, <laughs> yeah. and I wouldn't keep doing it if I didn't like it. But yeah. I, I know that as far as um, like you know, it, as a as a personal challenge, as far as reaching goals, trying to achieve what I Growth. want to achieve as an yeah. artist, like yeah. I think my realm going forward is going to be written work more than screaming in some form of a hardcore metal band, you know. So sure. Uh, well, and it'll probably agree with you more as you get older, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I find that that's be... uh, Instead of picking up a guitar and writing new songs, I find I sit down and start typing or or writing, even handwriting sometimes, depending on where I am. But that seems to be more uh, my outlet, naturally. Yeah. So when I'm not busy traveling... Doing stuff with my girlfriend or my family or in the gym or whatever. Uh, at home, the way I kind of unwind creatively is more and more. I'm either going to work on the Vegan Meathead book or I'm going to work on whatever the poetry book at the time. Or, you know, when I get to the moment, I think after this next uh, edition of the Vegan Meathead book, it's going to be a new novel. But I, you know, I haven't started that yet because I, I learned how to write one, and with the one Canefield that came out two years. It's a, it's a lot of uh, investment and concentration, so I got to get in the headspace to ever start putting that together. How would people check out Vegan Meathead and Canefield? Well, I got my uh, website Daniel-Austin.com. Okay. And everything's available on there. There's also VeganMeathead.com. And uh, all the stuff's on like Amazon, stuff like that. And, cool. And sometimes, you know, it seems like my, my audience is more like the hardcore scene. So sometimes distros will pick up copies or, or, or Ryan's shop. Yep. So you can get a hold of it. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. One can get a hold of it. Yeah. Now, is your music available on your website as well? Yeah, I got everything streaming on there for people to check out. Okay. Uh, and links to the um, streaming apps if they want to listen to it on that. And uh, some copies I, I do sell. Not everything i've ever put out because some of it's out of print but like the new the newer stuff i have copies of that i sell on my website too so the most recent thing you put out was another collection of poetry yeah and it had a short story in it too yeah yeah so i'm i'm interested i've i've picked up everything that you've put out so far except for the most recent collection i'm i'm interested in who your influences were poetry or are I mean I feel like it's pretty cliche but Leonard Cohen and uh, Charles Bukowski just cause it's like it's 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 raw it's funny it's honest it's kind of dirty old man it's kind of yeah. you know you know you know what's interesting saying that is like women changed my life 
Yeah, it's a great book. It, it, it is, and <laughs> depending on where my my headspace is, I I can't read Bukowski. Oh sure, I mean, it, it, like if I'm having, <laughs> a, it's like like for me, it's Russian lit. If like I'm, if I get in that hole and I'm in the wrong spot. You know, well, if I if I'm having my a, wife pulls me right out, if, she's if, like, if, just stop reading that shit right now. She she, really, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go no, on. no. It, well, it's just if 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 I'm having uh, a, a a great day, just mind completely cleared of garbage or whatever, and I dive into a little bit of Bukowski, it just kind of fucks me up. I'm just like, what the fuck is this? Oh, he's you the know? biggest grump ever. Absolutely. <laughs> but if I got a little bit of that bullshit in me. I could dive right in and be like, he was a fucking genius. Well, Look see, for me, man. for me, it's the opposite. It's like I dive in and I just like start becoming like this, <laughs> adopting this like just <laughs> yeah this view. Well, you know, I said I name both those guys because the more I write, the more I try to bring out the humor and the absurdity of living. Right there, and, you go. And I, I think Leonard Cohen was great at that. And I, I and I part of my fondness of Bukowski is how much I laugh reading. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, and, and I like that both of them are very self-critical and admit that their pieces are shit. A hundred percent. And mm-hmm. I love that honesty. And I'm not saying I'm like a piece of shit, but I'm, I'm a human being. We're human. Like, this, we got. That's a human condition. To, to human not condition. acknowledge that yeah. is, is makes it very hard to relate to the material, right? I think that's why, yeah. like, as a teenager, yeah. like, getting into Rollins and stuff like sure, that was sure. very and easy And that's another me, right? Bukowski title, human condition. Yeah. So, um. I mean, yeah, on that level, basically, it's not like that's all I read, but but I think those those are the guys I read that go, I could do. Oh yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, sure. Like they they set the bar, I think, a little more lower in a relatability level. Yeah, it wasn't like reading John Donne or Shakespeare, where you're like, what the fuck are they saying? Let me think yeah. about this. You know, yeah. it's, it was raw emotion uh, with with some great grasp of prose you know yeah so yeah i i think bukowski definitely made it for me where i was like granted he wrote every single day yeah, yeah. Of, of his life so i i don't want to uh take away from any of that and he was uh an insanely talented published author it, it was just the first time I read Bukowski, I was like, "I'm capable of, it. right? I can do this." Right? He was really. I mean, he was. He was almost like punk without being punk. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and for a young, gruntled, <laughs> frustrated dude, I mean, he was, he was super relatable. And uh, it was one of the first times I ever read any. But oh, like this could be a dude in my neighborhood. Oh yeah. You know? Yeah. There was nothing lofty about it. No, no, and there was no nothing fluffy about yeah. it. Nothing. Uh, there, there was no, there was no picture painted. Uh, everything like the curtain was pulled on everything. Yeah, yeah. He was not trying to paint some picture to like. It, everything was fucking exposed. He didn't give a shit if your kids saw anything. It was. <laughs> he, I mean, it was. It was the entanglement of misery. And yeah. All, all of it. Yeah. Uh, I love that shit. Learn to laugh at it. Learn to accept it about yourself. Uh, I mean, I don't know if he... He maybe had some growth in his personal... Uh, you know, 
No, I you know, I think that I can appreciate at least admitting what you the my my favorite poem of all time is Bluebird. Oh yeah. It's a good one. Yeah. And, yeah, it's a and, lot of a lot of inner dialogue. And so so whenever you talk about growth, well shit. That's you know. Well, that's what I'm saying. He could recognize the faults with him. Yeah. At least some of them. I mean, that's better than a lot of people I know. Yeah. So, uh, I think there's an emotional intelligence to that. And I guess I guess a lot of what I write, I want to try to achieve. Like, like I don't want to just write a poem and it's just stating how sad or miserable I am. There yeah. has to be some kind of moment of enlightenment. There's a little bit of a journey, even if it's ten lines. Yeah. At the end, you realize there's an epiphany or this humorous relief of the tension, or something like that. Without that, it's fucking like who cares if you're sad? Nobody gives a fuck. Right, right. Or, or just nothing but pure self-deprecation. I, I can't, I can't jive with that. There's got to be some type of ride that you take me on. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's totally. not really poetry, right? right like right. just to just yeah. to like sit and dwell in something. Yeah. Yeah. It's, Absolutely. Uh, save that for yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. um, well, this is this is an interesting thing, you know. Um, I had a rough few years that basically caused me to put out these poetry books, and now I feel like this year has been really great for me, and like every level of my life. So the challenge for me going forward with a sense of gratitude that um, I went through some dark shit and now I don't feel like I'm in the same place anymore and that I've even overcome things for now. It's like, I still want to write, but I have to challenge myself to not just focus on the darkness. Yeah, sure. And like, make it like, that's not your modus operandi. Yeah. You can yeah. write about however you're feeling. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's, I think that's more challenging. Sure. Yeah. Cause, uh, well, when something gets comfy, it's always going to be a default, right? Yeah. You know, uh, so, I tried to do that with the Tooth and Claw record where it's not Da Young and it's not crit criticizing the world so much and just trying to achieve some balance uh, amid suffering, the chaos, the whatever. And, uh, you know, I think that'll be a bigger challenge in the poetry because the poetry has been mostly a knee-jerk, you know, like a momentary reaction to something and I find some feeling and then I got to put it down and... Um, it's kind of, you know, sometimes I'll say it's like emotional vomit, but hopefully it's, you know, I have had people tell me it was something they could identify with, especially divorced dudes. Hey, <laughs> right up my alley. Hey, man, you know, we're all at the age. We're, we're on uh, number two or number three at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Some of us aspiring uh, husbands. Uh, a lot of us, you know. Um, but there's communion. Like, that's another thing. When you write gotta be some point of communion i think because it's not if you're just writing about yourself who fucking cares yeah we gotta be i don't know reaching it and so that I, that's something i'm more cognizant of purpose right. yeah you yeah. know and, and so even if i'm writing about my own experience i'm i'm thinking more and more through the lens as i get older of how is this my experience but a human experience Like, I'm interested in constructing meta characters. Yeah. You know, even though I'm going to write about an alter ego of myself, and I'm, it's, it's coming from experiences I've had, I still... And people have told me this, that Ray Canfield, especially dudes from our scene who 
awkward, had bad relationships while they were touring, and and they're like, dude, I felt like this was about me. And I'm like, I think we all had something similar like that in our yeah. 20s, you know. I would say it's a coming-of-age novel, uh, if you can recognize that. Hey, good for you, because we need to grow the fuck up. Grow the yeah. fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Well, awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Daniel. Hey, man. Good to see you guys. Yeah. yeah it's good to see you, too. Yeah. You, you're oh, in yeah. town for the wedding, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm actually going to drive home right after this. Oh, and you're uh, recording guitar tracks for the new Will to Live. Yeah, yeah. I did that yesterday. Yeah. So that's How's all, that going? It's all done. Uh, my part's done. You know, okay. So Mike's done his drums. They sound fucking incredible. Sound like Mike Fury. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then uh, I did my guitars yesterday all day. Up next will be bass and then Rob. Never can get vocal sessions in, and we don't know who's gonna put it out yet. But um, we're uh, gonna start trying, like, find that. Up. Hopefully, get it out next year. You know. Are you guys playing new ones on January first? Yeah, we've been playing two okay. uh, new ones already. The last two shows we played, and I think we'll probably do a third one on January first. Um, real happy with it. I, I think you know the reception. Those two shows when we played the new songs was. Uh, was really good. In fact, one of them people have asked us to pl- like play it again oh, there you at go. the show. So it's like, whoa! That's, what a great feeling! Yeah, yeah. I wrote something new that you'd like to hear. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How refreshing! Yeah. Well, um, that might also be because it barely has anything new. <laughs> it's like, yo, y'all, y'all only waited nearly a decade. So here you go. <laughs> hey, dude, it's, it's quality, not yeah. quantity, right? Yeah. Yeah. So no, I you know I love uh, being able to. Playing Will to Live. Have you played in Will to Live, Ryan? Uh, yeah, I actually sang for Will to oh, Live. Okay. So we have all been in Will to Live. At I played point. bass for yeah. them for like a couple of years. Yeah. yeah, I recall that. Yeah, at at the Gorilla Biscuit show, and then I did. Uh, this was whenever Rob was struggling with his hernia. I did vocals on Weather the Storm. Oh shit! Okay. Yeah. I was offshore for that show. I organized well, to get GAMC shirts made through a third party. And didn't didn't make it home for the show. I came home like two days later. Ah, fuck, suck. Oh well. But yeah, man, a new will to live in 2022, and I think I think people will be happy with it. Uh, Rob's Rob's definitely uh, talking about like conceptually what he's been trying to pull from. Talking like kind of like storytelling in the lyrics. Uh, he's going to talk about. I mean, it's going to be called therapy sessions. I've I've spoken with yeah. him about it. It's really intriguing. I yeah. like it. Yeah. yeah, it's. I don't think it's really the concept of what he's trying to do. I don't think it's been done in hardcore, on a record. I I don't know. Not and concertedly. What, what we're know? talking about is like what Daniel's talking about is it's it's kind of like adopting the the viewpoint. Is is that right? Of someone in therapy. Of, of someone in therapy. Yeah. Mm, so yeah. it's okay. like therapy sessions, and it, it's it, different ideas, different have, viewpoints, right? Have you seen that show uh, in treatment on HBO? No, I haven't. It, there's a new season, but first, what, two or three seasons was Gabriel Byrne as a therapist. Okay. And every episode is a therapy session. It's kind of like the new Will to Live is going to be like in treatment uh, with breakdowns. <laughs> <Boy>. <laughs> in treatment with breakdowns. I love it. I got to oh, check yeah. that out, Daniel. I haven't watched that. I'm, I'm in the middle of Midnight Mass right now. Okay. I don't know if you've watched that. That's a I great haven't. one. No, I'm no. Steeped in Catholicism. I love it. Oh. And then it's like, <laughs> and then it gets, it gets real. Okay. Yeah. It, it's pretty good. Okay. Sorry. I get the ADHD. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking take it over. Well, awesome. 
Oh, awesome. Well, thanks for coming, Daniel. I had a great time. I had a great discussion. Yeah. It's nice to finally hash some shit out. I'll be on the air. <laughs> Right, that's nice. <laughs> From 2006, talk yeah. about your feelings, boys. Hey, man. 15, <laughs> only 15 years. Right? Only 15. Yeah. Yeah. Drop in the bucket, man. Just, I'm glad we got that settled. <laughs> no cinder blocks, no nothing. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome that we were able to have you yeah. on. I'm glad that you told us a little bit more about that tooth and claw record. And I'm excited to jump back into it. Yeah. Ah, cool. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, look for uh, Tooth and Claw shows in 2022. Look for the new Will to Live in 2022. Uh, check out everything Daniel Austin is doing at daniel-austin.com. Thanks, there you Daniel. Go. Correct. Thanks, gentlemen. That's the sound of handshakes, boys. <laughs>